The MLB trade deadline has officially passed. I give you the reactions to some of the biggest moves made here on Tuesday, right up to the deadline. Then, we re reactions to the Deshaun Watson six-game suspension. And then, later, we remember Bill Russell. This is Breaking Bread. Welcome to Breaking Brad, cooking up some of the best takes this evening, and we're going to start with the MLB trade deadline, um, just closed as of about an hour ago, um, and a lot of big moves, uh, just a lot of moves in general, but a lot of big moves, including Juan Soto and Noah Syndergaard, they really top the list. Um, I have a full list here on my Substack, breakingbrad.substack.com, so be sure to check it out and subscribe, and you'll get the full list of all the different moves, and I'm just scrolling down here so many were made um, but the big one at the top of the list uh, the Washington Nationals got rid of Juan Soto former World Series champion who's only 23 years old and he's going to the San Diego Padres which <laughs> is a huge move because the Padres basically they have Soto they have Manny Machado and they have Fernando Tatis that's about a billion dollars in total salary. They really can't afford that. So, uh, of course, what the Padres did is they decided to trade Eric Hosmer. The Red Sox saw him as an undervalued asset who you know needed to be traded away. So the Red Sox got Hosmer for basically nothing from the Padres. So that was a, a real strong move there by Boston. Uh, but it's also going to put the Padres in a really great position to win the World Series. Now, is that going to put them ahead of the Dodgers, who um, I think technically have the best record in the majors right now? It's really between them, the Astros, and the Yankees. Uh, but really just a huge move. The Padres doing everything they can to win that World Series, but it's going to be awfully tough if they have to go through the wild card round. Um, you know, we do have a different playoff structure now, um, so maybe that will help a little bit. Uh, but really, really going to be exciting baseball coming out of San Diego. We also saw Noah Syndergaard get traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Angels wanting to get rid of him there. Uh, back in the National League East, Syndergaard uh, really going to uh phillies are going for it you know they're they're going for it in that division and uh, it's really interesting to see the teams that are going for it and the ones that are not um the minnesota twins um uh, if you go down this list acquired a ton of starting and relief pitching um i think they arguably had the best uh, uh trade deadline of any team in the majors um the yankees reloaded the astros reloaded um so the american league east at the very top just going to be stacked this year. So um, lots to look forward to there. Um, and as for my Red Sox, you know, uh, on um, Monday night, they traded Christian Vasquez, uh, starting catcher, away to the Houston Astros. He literally crossed the diamond into the other dugout um, after going through the walkthrough, so literally giving up the secrets to the Astros. Um, Red Sox still managed to win. Uh, uh, Vasquez didn't play, but we'll see. Um, if he plays later in the series. But the assumption there was, okay, Red Sox got rid of Vasquez. We know J.D. Martinez is on the trade block. Uh, Xander Bogarts, they've had some difficulty working on a contract extension there. So does that mean the Red Sox are going to get rid of Bogarts because that's not working out? What about Rafael Devers? What about Nathan Avaldi? None of that happened. They got rid of Vasquez, and then the Red Sox just kind of added more talent. All right, so they got rid of Jake Diekman, which, um, you know, no one's really crying about that. But they brought in Eric Hosmer, as I mentioned. And then they brought in getting rid of Christian Vasquez. Um, 
they they brought in uh, Reese McGuire, who um, I'm not going to talk about it now, has a bit of a checkered past, uh, but he is a solid catcher out of Chicago. Not Christian Vasquez, but um, they backfilled that role pretty well. And Tommy Fan, a very good outfielder from the Cincinnati Reds. Now, the Red Sox are uh, about three games roughly out in the wild card. Um, you know, they got hot in the month of June and then completely fell asleep in the month of July. They still haven't won a series against an American League East team. Uh, they split against the Yankees of all teams once. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Red Sox. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I kind of like these moves in terms of going for it, but this was not, this is not a World Series team, in my opinion. I think it's time to blow things up for Boston. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of found a happy medium there between buying and selling. Um, but J.D. Martinez is still there. Xander Bogarts is still there. Devers. I think Devers is going to be there forever. And, and, you know, it sounds like they're really working to extend Xander, who I, I really thought was going to be gone. Um, so, you know, the Red Sox, hopefully they can get help, healthy and, and work it out. Uh, but really exciting MLB trade deadline. Uh, you know, this the, the people were, were tuning in all day. Lots of moves coming in, um, not just today, but over the week. Yankees got Andrew Benintendi, which makes me want to cry. Um, Brett Phillips on the Orioles now. Uh, you know, were the Orioles buying or selling? They got very hot in the month of July. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure. You know, they have a shot at the wild card there. Um, so a lot of great moves. Again, you can read about all the moves here um, at breakingbrad.substack.com. Um, so moving on here uh, to a story that broke uh, uh, just on Monday. Um, Deshaun Watson sus- suspended by the National Football League for six games at the start of the 2022 NFL season. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Tom Brady allegedly, maybe or maybe not, told his ball boy to put the footballs at the bare minimum threshold of 12.5 PSI. And then they blew out the Colts. It was cold. It was rainy. It was windy. Football's all deflated a little bit throughout the game. It turned into a massive controversy. Uh, It literally went to federal court. Um, The NFL ultimately, two years later, um, suspended Tom Brady for four games. Um, and he missed the start of that season where they ultimately went on to win the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo filled in um, along with Jacoby Brissett and did a fairly decent job there. Uh, and, and the Patriots ended up winning. But this Deshaun Watson suspension, according to my calculations, is only 50% worse than what Tom Brady did. And if, if you have had your head in the sand, basically Deshaun Watson um, was accused of sexual assault from 24, yes, you read that right, 24 separate women um, during his time with the Houston Texans, including with uh, the, the, some of the uh, administrative and, and uh, training staff um, for the Texans organization. Cleveland Browns basically said, well, he settled a lot of these. Um, we're going to sign him to one of the largest contracts in NFL history, $230 million, and hope that he won't you know, be gone for too long. And in my opinion, if that deal didn't happen, we probably wouldn't see Deshaun Watson, um, at least this season. Uh, however, the deal did happen, and Watson was only suspended six games. Now, he settled for you know, with 23 of the 24 women. Uh, but just think about some of the suspensions we've had in the NFL. All right, Antonio Brown 
was suspended eight games, multiple violations of burglary and battery. I guess, yeah, it makes sense. Kareem Hunt, eight games, uh, salt caught on video. Um, Jameis Winston suspended three games for um, inappropriately touching an Uber driver. Um, Zeke, six games for domestic violence. Greg Hardy, 10 games for domestic violence. Um, Ray Rice was indefinitely suspended by the NFL, but really, he was reinstated about two months later, uh, so he ended up missing. He didn't end up signing with an NFL team, obviously, because that video came out that was egregious, but um, he was reinstated within a couple of months, so he really didn't miss much time at all had he been with an NFL team. Um, Adrian Peterson was suspended indefinitely for child abuse and was reinstated a year later. Um, Michael Vick, indefinitely for dogfighting. Two years later, he was reinstated. And let's not forget Josh Gordon, who was suspended on six separate occasions, 78 games total for smoking marijuana, um, including an indefinite suspension in, I think it was either 2018 or 2019, and was reinstated in 2020, which, by the way, he can now do without getting in trouble because the league revised their personal conduct policy. Of course, he can't get those 78 games back. Um, you know, one of the most talented receivers to ever put on an NFL uniform missed that much time over something that he can now do legally in, uh, you know, a, a handful of, of states and within the NFL's new personal conduct policy. And another suspension that a lot of folks are talking about, Calvin Ridley was suspended an entire season for sports gambling, and you may say, okay, sports gambling, that's bad. You, you shouldn't do it. Remember remember the Black Sox scandal, the Chicago White Sox betting against their team, basically throwing the World Series um, early 20th century? That's not what happened. He bet in favor of his team. If anything, it was motivation, let's be honest. Uh, but Calvin Ridley, going to be out the entire season for that. Meanwhile, Deshaun Watson only getting uh, six games, settled with 23 of the 24 women accusing him of sexual assault. But the NFL did fine him. They looked into all, uh, all the cases. Um, US, former U.S. Judge District Court, uh, Judge Sue Robinson, uh, has been working with the NFL now. And she called it the most egregious pattern of conduct ever reviewed by the NFL, which of course raises the question, why only six games? The NFL proved that Watson, at the very least, sexually assaulted four of those women and posed a genuine danger, yet they said it was nonviolent sexual misconduct, so it wasn't that bad. A lot of contradictions there, but that was her argument. And because of this, they I guess they compared it to the precedent. I, I just read off some of the suspensions. There's no consistency here in the NFL, and this is the, this is the big issue. I, personally, I don't even think the NFL should be weighing in on these types of decisions. You know, and you, you see this on college campuses. You see this on, you know, large corporations, businesses. They cave to public relations pressures and basically build their own kangaroo courts um, just to, you know, please the PR crowd. Um, and it always always backfires because there is no consistency there. You know, it's hard enough getting things right in a court of law. When you add it to an organization that's going to have all sorts of biases and inconsistencies, it's not going to work. And and that's what we're seeing here in the NFL with all of these suspensions that are all over the place, um, suspensions that make no sense, that are too harsh, suspensions like, in my opinion, the Deshaun Watson one that didn't go far enough. But the NFL shouldn't weigh in on this at all, all right? If someone breaks the law, 
they should go through an impartial judicial process. Sometimes settlements happen, sometimes people go to jail, but that should be enough information for your employer to determine, hey, should I hire this person? Should I fire this person? Should they be suspended? That's how the real world works. You don't need your own special court system in the NFL or on college campuses for people that are rightly or sometimes wrongly accused because this is what ends up happening. And when someone breaks the law, it's not up to their employer, their university, or their professional sports league to play judge, jury, and executioner. But because the NFL has had so much pressure and so much backlash from, you know, some of the domestic violence incidents and, you know, people getting away with settlements and all, all sorts of things, they feel like to please the public, they have to develop their own personal conduct policy and develop their own kangaroo court. And this is what happens. You end up with folks like Deshaun Watson getting suspended for six games for something that really sh should cost them at, at least a full season um, or even end his career. Um, but he did get into these settlements with these women. So why the NFL shouldn't even be weighing in? All right, they should have looked at. They should have looked into. What were some of the legal proceedings that came out of the Deshaun Watson case? And then the Houston Texans or the Cleveland Browns can make a decision on what to do with Deshaun Watson based on that, that ultimate decision. And that's how you end up with, you know, six games because there's all these pressures. He signed a massive contract. Um, he, he, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Cleveland hasn't had a good quarterback in about four decades. Um, uh, Deshaun Watson's going to end up playing. He'll be back week six. Jacoby Brissett will fill in um, during that time. But, you know, the decision doesn't make any sense relative to some of the other NFL personal conduct policies. So the NFL either has to come up with something that is consistent, that isn't a kangaroo court like they have right now, or they shouldn't weigh in at all. They should wait for someone to get prosecuted and fined or jailed. Um, or found not guilty, and then make a decision based off of that. It's not up to the NFL to do that, in my opinion. Um, just really ridiculous seeing Deshaun Watson, but he signed that big contract. The NFL wants him out there. Now, Roger Goodell um, has until, I believe, the end of the week to appeal the suspension, but I don't think he's going to do it. He just wants this whole thing to get away, go away. Um, I certainly wouldn't bet on it. Um, some sad news that uh, broke uh, over the weekend. Um, uh, former NBA uh, center, uh, Bill Russell, 11-time NBA champion with the Boston Celtics. He passed away uh, peacefully at the age of 88, uh, passed away of old age, um, lived a long, healthy life, and, you know, Russell always looked great um, courtside, and, and we're certainly going to miss him as a Celtics fan. We're going to miss him in Boston. Hilarious um, seeing his interactions with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in recent years. Um, really just supported that organization, and you know, I've seen a lot of articles. The original GOAT, Bill Russell. Um, the only issue I have with those headlines is they really need to take out the word original. Um, the man won 11 NBA championships in 14 seasons. Not only did he win 11, 11 of those championships, he won the NBA MVP in five of those seasons, went to the All-Star Game in 12 of those seasons, um, first team All-NBA three times, second team eight times, um, All-Defensive team, NBA rebounding champion four times. Um, and I, I think, you know, and he was the first uh, black coach in NBA history. Um, and, and what I truly think people overlook with Bill Russell isn't just, um, you know, the, the number of championships in just, uh, you know, 14 seasons, won them in nearly every year except for three. Um, he filled in for arguably the greatest NBA coach 
in history, and they just kept winning. Red Auerbach, of course, won all those titles um, with the Boston Celtics coaching Bill Russell, and then when Red Auerbach stepped down as the head coach, Bill Russell literally played and coached the team at the same time. You don't see that anymore. The, the The concept of the player coach is just gone. I would love to see it come back. You know, it would be LeBron basically is the player coach for the last few teams he's played for. It would be interesting to see what would happen there. I'm not sure he could handle it um, personally, but everyone always, always overlooks Bill Russell. They talk about here's the 10 greatest players of all time, and either they put Russell at like 9 or 10, or they completely forget about him. Remember, Nick Wright did his um, greatest NBA players of the last 50 years, and Bill Russell wasn't even on the list because I think the cutoff, it was like 52 years ago that he played, um, because it's just too inconvenient for them. It's too inconvenient because, oh, he played against plumbers and all sorts of you know, wash-ups, the NBA wasn't the same. And it's like, yeah, we know talent gets better over time. And that's why I think LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, because talent gets better over time. The, the NBA defense is certainly better than it used to be, despite hand-checking and all that stuff um, back in the day. But Bill Russell is the real GOAT. He really is. Um, incredible um, life, you know, broke all sorts of barriers, Obviously, um, he he uh, was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2011. Um, he he played for the San Francisco Dons, had his number retired uh, for them. Uh, two-time NBA champion, uh, went to the University of San Francisco um, back when they were relevant in college basketball. Um, really, uh, and and just an all-around good guy. I mean, you, you listen to. Go back and listen to some of his interviews with, you know, other Celtics greats, um, with current NBA players, um, with, you know, in influential figures in, in politics and in history. Um, Bill Russell, just really the greatest of all time. Um, he went to the Hall of Fame in 1975. Um, should be should be at the very top of that list, ahead of LeBron, ahead of Michael Jordan. Um, he makes Tom Brady look like he barely won anything. Imagine if Tom Brady in 14 seasons won 11 Super Bowls. It would be it, it would be incredible, and they'd say that was impossible. No one in history going forward will replicate what Bill Russell did uh, with the Boston Celtics. Um, so wrapping it up here, um, uh, going to talk about Patriots training camp. Um, just a quick update. Um, go check out my video from uh, last week. I talk a little bit about um, what we've seen at training camp thus far. Um, but Tuesday just wrapped up. Uh, the players are in pads. And we're starting to see, you know, what really happens when the players put on pads. And it's been a lot of the same from, you know, early in training camp as later in training camp. But we are starting to see some glaring weaknesses. And part of the reason is the shifting in the coaching staff. Um, uh, and I and look full disclosure. I get most of my news here from Tom Curran and Phil Perry. They can go much more in depth about this. Uh, but the Patriots' offensive line looks like it is struggling. Um, they got rid of Ted Karras in the offseason. Shaq Mason uh, went to Tampa, um, and uh, you know they they brought in Cole Strange, uh, controversial first round pick because no one likes it when their team takes a guard. But I think Cole Strange is going to be a great fit on day one. However, Matt Patricia. Uh, just a couple weeks ago was named the offensive line coach uh, for the Patriots by Bill Belichick, who doesn't like titles. But Matt Patricia is basically the de facto offensive coordinator. He's the one calling the plays. And what does that mean? Well, that means 
the offensive line is not getting the, the attention it deserves, which is could be very costly uh, for a team that lost Ted Karras and Shaq Mason in the offseason. And yeah, the Patriots have some depth at the offensive line position, but basically it's all on assistant Billy Yates to um, coach that O-line. And that's a lot of pressure because Patricia, who is the O-line coach, is spending all of his time with Mac Jones, with the receivers, doing all the things that offensive coordinators typically do. Um, so Billy Yates really is going to have to backfill that. And you can really feel um, the hole left by Dante Scarnecchia, who was a Patriots offensive line coach for, what, two decades or something? Um, so, you know, we it's... It's hard to see um, that O-line. It, it may be a work in progress. Generally, the Patriots start the season with a poor O-line, and they slowly get better throughout the year. I don't think this year is going to be an exception. I think the defense is going to be better than we anticipate. I think the wide receivers are going to be significantly better than we anticipate. But the offensive line is going to take a step back. And as a result, I think the running game is also going to take a step back. But the receivers... Are looking great. Devontae Parker, clearly the number one guy, has made a ton of incredible plays in practice. And the biggest surprise, though, Patriots surprised a lot of people taking um, Baylor receiver Tyquan Thornton early in the draft. Well, Tyquan Thornton has been lighting it up. You know, he he has the fastest combine in NFL history. He's the same height as Devontae Parker, but weighs about thirty to forty pounds less. Um, but he's doing a great job at training camp, and uh, you know. Who knows what we're going to see out of him? There were a lot of questions because he is—he has an unusual frame for an NFL wide receiver. Uh, but you know, we could have a larger Tyreek Hill out there. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, he's Nikhil Harry who can't block. I don't think that's going to be the case. But Tyquan Thornton really impressing so far. Um, you know, we're we're seeing the defense, the linebacker position, the Patriots. A lot of people criticize the Patriots for not making a lot, a lot of moves at linebacker, but they have a ton of depth, and we're seeing a lot there. Um, at the defensive back position, um, Malcolm Butler doesn't seem to be the guy. Um, he's going to be more of a, a red zone heavy back, but Terrence Mitchell, who they acquired, um, who was recently with the Houston Texans, he looks like he's going to be the number two back, cornerback uh, opposite Jalen Mills. Um, and Mac Jones, you know, taking a big step forward, uh, but we'll see how he does if his offensive line regresses. I think Jones is going to take a leap in year two, but if he's not getting the protection he got last year, that leap's not going to happen. So, you know, look, look to see the Patriots. It, it sounds like they're they're shifting to more of a Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay style offense um, a lot quicker. Um, you know, they're going to go no huddle a lot of the time. Um, we're going to see things from the Patriots that we've never seen before offensively, um, but that offensive line could be the glaring weakness heading into the year. Um, so that's it for today's uh, program.